0: Today I'm going to be in a number of scriptures, but I want to launch from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon after, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Here ends the reading of God's word. Today we start a series that's going to take us through a lot of the summer (coughs) about the bad habits of Jesus. The bad habits of Jesus. Now I don't mean by saying bad habits that Jesus sinned, I think Jesus was without sin. He was a perfect human being. But according to the culture of his day, he had some pretty bad habits. He did some things that you shouldn't do. And yet, according to the kingdom of God, he did them. So we're going to look at how Jesus spit, how Jesus was wasteful, how Jesus loved to party, how he procrastinated. All these things that really did bother the people around him. And yet, according to his kingdom, made perfect sense. Today we're going to look at the bad habit of Jesus that he hung out with and kept the company of women in a time when you should not have done that. The last century has seen great breakthroughs for women. Uh, Many of you can maybe remember when you didn't have the same kind of opportunities as a woman. Your mother and grandmother most certainly can. Women were granted the right to vote in 1920 Although even then, it wasn't until about 1980 that women turned out to vote in the same numbers as men. Until 1975, a woman in the state of Connecticut could not take out a loan or open a bank account without her husband's permission. 1975, that rule's still on the books. Women were not admitted to Princeton or Yale before 1969. But now we're at a point where um, women have... Uh, jobs, they have work, and there's still, you, you hear a lot of stuff about a compensation gap between men and women, and yet that seems to be, seems to be shrinking, and you really can see women at all levels of work and all parts of society. Women are no longer dependent on a man to do work, but can bring home some of their own bacon. But that wasn't always the case. In fact, historically, you have to know how new this really is. In most of history, women were not seen as equal to men. In the Middle East especially, this is still true. But in Jesus' day in the Middle East, it was very much true. In biblical times, women were barely second-class citizens. Women were thought of a lot like the possessions of men. Men could do with their wives as they wished. In the Jewish culture, it it was even better than the rest of the culture, but still... In the Jewish culture, a man could divorce a woman for almost any reason. And since women were not allowed to testify in court, they really had no way of defending themselves. Women could not support themselves. They were dependent on men to make a livelihood. Even if they owned fields, most men would not work for a woman. And so you you had to have some man to be able to run the, the family business. Women could not approach a priest... Women could not be taught the scriptures. In fact, most priests taught in the court of the men where the women were not allowed to go. The Bible comes to us in what what we would call a so-called enlightened time. But it comes to us from a very dark time. And it does not have the values that, that we have today. But at the same time, when we look through the Bible, it is way ahead of its time For the treatment of women. Let's look at the Old Testament first. In the Old Testament, there are a number of strong, assertive women worthy of honor and respect. We can think of the great matriarchs of the Jewish faith like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Miriam, the sister of Moses, was a prophetess for Israel. Deborah was a judge who led Israel in battle and then ruled over them in a time before the kings. We remember the great stories of Ruth and of Esther. There are also in the Old Testament women who are mistreated, but the Bible never glorifies that treatment. In fact, men like Judah are punished for their mistreatment of women. In the Bible, most often God is referred to as father, and yet there are several times where God is also referred to as being a mother or motherly. Let me just give you a couple of them. Deuteronomy 32:11 and 12 says, "Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young, so he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions." Isaiah 66:13 says, "I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child." Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I will not forget you. Hosea 11 says, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck. I myself stooped to feed him. These kind of images, and there were others in the Old Testament, referred to, to God as a mother. In the, in the ancient Near East, you, you just didn't do this. Okay? Your gods were strong, warlike men characters. Okay? They were warriors. To have a God that's compassionate like a mother, totally brand new. Totally brand new among the gods. No God is like that. But this God is. Among the ancient Near East, um, Women are value, the, the value of women is unmatched in the Bible. Into this tradition, the Old Testament marches Jesus, who lives in a time where, where, again, women are second-class citizens, but he doesn't follow the rules. He doesn't follow the code of conduct for his day. And he cares for women. The genealogy of Jesus includes five women, Normally in a genealogy, no women are listed. But in Jesus' genealogy, five women are listed. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Do you know, not even all those women were Jewish. Some of those are Gentiles. Jesus loved and cared for his mother. His first miracle was at her request at a family wedding. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, which I always thought is funny, and I've said this before, that Peter never thanks Jesus for that one. Okay. You heal, thanks for healing my mother-in-law. I often wonder how, Jesus, how Peter really felt about this miracle. Right. Um, and what his relationship with his. What his mother-in-law was really like. Anyway. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. In the verse I read to begin this sermon. It indicates that not just the disciples travel with Jesus. But a number of women travel with Jesus. In fact. It lists Mary Magdalene, but also Joanna and Susanna, who we know little about, except that they seem to be benefactors of this company. Think about it. How, does Jesus and the, how did Jesus and the disciples eat? Okay, how do they eat on their three years of ministry? They're supported by benefactors. A number of those benefactors are women who feature prominently in the story. Seems like maybe Mary and Martha are among them with their brother Lazarus. Jesus goes there all the time. I really think Jesus just really enjoyed the company of Mary and the cooking of Martha. So he keeps showing up there every once in a while, probably when they're cooking his favorite meal. He he must know, oh, it's spaghetti night. And he shows up there with Mary and Martha. In my opinion, there are two stories in the Bible that show more than any other Jesus' relationship with women and how different it was than, uh, than those of his day. Let me read you first. I'm going to read you out of John 8, the story of the woman caught in adultery. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. There's a lot of debate as to what he writes on the ground. Does he write their sins? text doesn't say. But they continued to ask. And he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Have, have, has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is a woman caught in adultery. She doesn't deny having adultery. Jesus doesn't deny that she had adultery. <laughs> Okay, this woman should be in trouble. For Jesus to be alone speaking to this woman is to, is to break a cultural norm. Okay, you're not supposed to be alone with a woman, let alone alone and speaking to a woman. Most women you weren't even supposed to speak to if their husbands weren't there. We don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand, but what we do know is the compassion that he had for this woman. The compassion and grace that he had for this woman. He defends her. He does not condemn her and he frees her. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is of Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Do you remember that story? Okay, this is a woman uh, that Jesus sees. He's passing through Samaria. You weren't supposed to go through Samaria. Jews did not walk through Samaria. They walked way out of their way to walk around that region. But Jesus walks through it. And he meets this woman alone at the well in the middle of the day. Getting, a water, getting water was part of the woman's job in those days. And the women would often go in the cool of the morning, not the heat of the afternoon. And they would often go in groups to be protected from bandits. And they would travel up to the, to the well or to the stream that was near and uh, would gather water and come back. So this is a woman alone. She's not in the safety of all the other women, and she's there in the middle of the day. Clearly, they all would have known. Jesus would have known, the disciples would have known, that this is an outcast. Okay? If women are second class citizens, this is a woman that's been rejected by all the other women. Furthermore, she's a Samaritan. Jesus should not have spoken to this woman. Okay? In fact, when the disciples come back to find her talking, him talking to this woman, they're upset. How could you be talking to this Samaritan woman alone in the middle of the day? But Jesus speaks to her. He tells her her own story, how she had been with so many husbands and now was with a man who was not her husband. We assume that maybe she was an adulterer and kept leaving her husbands, but but there's a great chance that she had... Uh, married a man who had died and she had had to marry to another man who had died and perhaps she's not outcast because she's a loose woman she's an outcast because they feel she's cursed perhaps she's with the man she is not married to now because he won't marry her for fear that actually he will be cursed too she is a sinner she is a samaritan or she is bad luck jesus should not have spoken to this woman and yet he knows her. He tells her his, her own story. He offers her living water and he follows her back to her town as she becomes the first evangelist in the Bible. He should have criticized this woman or not talked to her. But he shows her no shame. In fact, he shows her great compassion, grace, and respect. Jesus actually touched women and let women touch him in his ministry. This is something Jesus should never have done. Okay, there's one miracle where he goes to heal a little girl, the daughter of Jairus, who is dead. And he goes and he touches her by the hand and he speaks to her and he raises her. Okay, double whammy. Jesus is not supposed to touch a girl. He's not supposed to touch a little girl, especially. And he is definitely not supposed to touch a dead body. Okay, all these are reasons for Jesus not to touch this girl. And yet Jesus breaks all those norms and brings that little girl back from the dead. And it is on his way to the house of Jairus that the woman sneaks up behind him. Do you remember that story? This woman who's bleeding. She has some kind of illness where she's constantly bleeding, which means she's dirty. Which means she's ceremonially unclean and Jesus should never have let her touch him. And yet she sneaks up behind him just to touch his garment. And she's healed. And she tries to run and get away. But Jesus says, who who touched me? Who touched me? And he talks to this woman, and he should have chastised her for touching him. In fact, that's probably what the woman thought he was going to do. But he doesn't. He offers compassion. Jesus' view of women even influences his teaching. Jesus' teaching on divorce was to help women from being pawns in a man's world and from being tossed about by the desires of men. Jesus even said that looking at a woman with lust was a sin. For Jesus... A woman wasn't even supposed to be a possession in your mind, okay? Jesus did not follow the rules. He did not follow the expectations. He had some very bad habits that really bothered his disciples in some of these stories. And yet he had such great compassion. He followed his heart. And the heart of Jesus, the heart that broke for us on the cross, is always a heart that is bent towards compassion, And with the women that Jesus met and the women that Jesus traveled with, he always had this great compassion. And the story is true in the rest of the New Testament too. Women were witnesses at the cross. Women were the first witnesses to the resurrection. Acts has this really strong concern for widows because widows had no way of fending for themselves in that society. And that has been a concern of the church throughout history. To care... For widows. Paul in his letters are a little bit harder to read. Paul, of course, says some harsh things. Um, Paul at one point in 1 Corinthians says he encourages women to be silent in worship. And that verse has been quoted a lot to try to say that women shouldn't preach, that women shouldn't teach. And yet in that same book, Paul debates whether women should wear head coverings or not when they prophesy in worship. Hey, so we can't say that Paul is saying women can't speak at all because he says in the same book that women should be prophesying, He's just debating whether their heads should be covered or not. No, Paul is talking about a specific situation. As Paul often is, it needs to be read accordingly. The text that probably gets the most debate, particularly around the issue of women in ministry, is Paul's words to Timothy, where he talks about elders needing to be the husband of one wife that a pastor should be the husband of one wife. And a lot of people will look at that and say, "See, it's got to be a man. There's a couple problems with that, I think. Number one, the Ten Commandments say that you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife. Which means technically, according to that logic, the Ten Commandments are only for men also. And nobody would argue that. So you've got to read it fairly. But you also have to understand that Paul greets women as equals and apostles, particularly in his letter to the Romans, chapter 16. Let me just read a couple verses. He says, Greet Prissa, or you might know her as Priscilla, and Aquila, her husband, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. A couple verses later, he says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you, Greet Adachronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Paul actually greets Priscilla or Prissa before her husband Aquila. That you never did that. That he has extreme respect for this woman and her ministry. And he greets Junia as an apostle. When the text says she was known among the apostles, it means she was really known and respected. Not just they knew who she was, but she is listed among those apostles. We remember Paul's words in Galatians 3. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ." then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, the Bible gets a pretty bad reputation as being kind of backwards and from old times. But when you really look at it, it was way ahead of its time. The relationships that Jesus had with women and the care that Jesus showed in his ministry to women is simply unprecedented. And and you know that because if you read the text, it bothered people. It bothered the disciples, some of the conversations that he had. I am glad to be in a tradition of the Bible that values women. And uh, I think it's taken the church and the world a long time to catch up with that. But I'm also glad to be in a church where we have elders who are women. I'm glad to be in a tradition where there are pastors who are women. And um, I'm glad to see how far we've come. But the message of today is not just about valuing women, but I think valuing people. I think when we read the Bible, we see that people are important. And people are important not because of what they have to offer. Not what they have to offer you, not what they have to offer society. That was the debate with women. They they can't do as much as a man can do. But we make that same mistake with all kinds of other people. All kinds of other people we don't think are very valuable, don't think we can contribute to our lives or to the world around us the same way. And the message today is a message of grace. That Jesus didn't just die for you, but Jesus died for all the people of the world. It's not about what they contribute, but that maybe we should follow the model of a compassionate God that's a little more like a mother than a father sometimes. And have compassion in people's pain, And grace for their flaws. May we see people with the loving eyes that Jesus has for us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your relationship to women. We thank you for your compassion and your compare for us. Pray that we would be tender, that we would be loving, that we would be gracious. That we would care for people not because of what they may or may not offer. But just because they are inherently valuable and beautiful. Pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Hymn is number 441. Softly and tenderly Jesus is called.